Welcome back to the Cool Schools podcast, where we deconstruct and discuss innovative schools from all around the country. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about Build Up, which is a really interesting new workforce development, high school, associate's degree, combination school that's starting this fall in Ensley, Alabama, which is a sort of sub subcity or inner ring suburb of Birmingham. We'll be chatting with Mark Martin, who is uh, the the main person. He runs the he runs the show there. Uh, a little bit about Mark: He recently graduated from Harvard's Doctor of Education Leadership Program, uh, where he worked with Jobs for the Future and the Alabama State Department of Education on education to career transition and workforce readiness. He previously served as school director at the Langston Hughes Academy, which is a pre-K to eight public charter school founded that he helped co-found in two thousand and seven. He actually started his career in Atlanta's uh, in Atlanta Woodson Elementary, low those many years ago, uh, with Teach for America. It's a really fascinating conversation that we have unpacking how this school is is working to try and give students a clear path to the middle class with with work skills and a quality education, the credentials that they need in both a high school and an associate's degree, and if it all goes to plan, an actual house, all in six years. I know. It's hard to believe. You'll get the whole story. So here's my conversation with Mark Martin of Build Up. So Mark, where did you get the idea for Build Up? You know, I think Build Up uh, was a combination of of experiences in my life that led up to it, but it hit me like a ton of bricks in uh, really the January of 2017. So had a a bit of a holiday break there and some time to think and. Each of the components, though, just just hit me and it made sense. And the further that I got into it, this was while I was still earning my doctorate degree. Um, the further I got into it, each of the pieces fit better and better. And they kind of supported one another and it made it just all made sense. Well, I'm glad you you phrase it as as pieces or or components, because I think that's essential to understanding build up is understanding these different components. So could you walk through the different components of the model? Sure, absolutely. The first and foremost, I'm an educator. That's my background. The last 15 years, I've been in public education, uh, predominantly in urban classrooms, uh, serving uh, low-income, high-minority populations. And there have just been so many. Uh, I guess I'll first start with the, the why behind each of it, uh, each component. But as an educator and working in this pretty lonely silo of K-12 education. Um, our kids come to the classroom with so many needs um, resulting from, you know, all the, all the different complex social problems that they're dealing with, mostly associated with poverty, but crime, um, sometimes empty stomachs, single parent households, you name it, the, the list goes on and on. And all of those things that our kids come into the classroom with are, are really difficult um, with the majority of tools that educators have to tackle um, and have to leverage against these problems, those issues are, are really difficult to tackle with just with just those tools. So um, a quality K-12 education, I think, is first and foremost in, in tackling poverty. But what I realized along the last 15 years is that it's just not enough. And so we had to reach outside of the sector. So safe, stable, affordable housing is another piece. Uh, that's too often lacking in our kids' home lives. Um, unfortunately, 
many solutions out there for this piece always result in in continuing uh, low-income folks into rental positions rather than owning a piece of the pie and, and you know being homeowners um, high wage high demand career skills is another critical piece even if you are fortunate enough in this country to become a homeowner if you lose your job too often you're faced with the challenge of maintaining a mortgage and putting food on the table which, which is extremely difficult if you don't have income coming in so having job skills that you can fall back on that's another critical piece that we're hitting and then even with all of those components if you don't have the social capital and oftentimes even financial capital um, to get your foot in the door to have an automobile that you can hold down a job with uh, you can't be successful in this in this world and so many jobs we know are a result of who you know and so that's the social capital piece, having mentors, having industry professionals that you can call upon to get doors open, to get those interviews, to get the job. And so we're addressing all of those four main pieces, um, but there are a lot of other smaller components such as financial literacy, entrepreneurship skills, um, even take home pay for our youth because so many kids um, too often have to drop out or get distracted from their academics because they have to earn some some money, whether it's working at McDonald's or um, or oftentimes worse, um, doing something that maybe isn't um, isn't legal to earn money to either put food on the table or because they want to have some financial freedom in their lives and they've never had that opportunity. So we're addressing a lot of things in this um, in this one comprehensive program. And so, what is your targeted student population? How are you recruiting them? So, uh, again, I'll start with a little bit of the why to, to tell you um, some of why we're um, addressing students at a, at a much younger age. Um, in this country right now, the average apprenticeship age is 28. So that tells me that for 10 years post high school, um, if this young adult made it through high school, they've kind of been working in the service industry, likely in minimum wage jobs or, or jobs that are not paying livable wages. And oftentimes it's things like bartending or waiting tables, um, which are fine for a while, but they're not paying uh, a wage to where you can't own a home. Um, they're also often not regular enough to develop some strong habits uh, for careers. So if you're a bartender, you're oftentimes going to bed at two or three in the morning, waking up in the middle of the day, and to go from that at 28 to being on a construction site, for example, at 7 a.m. regularly is really difficult. So, sure. um, so you're developing a lot of bad habits along the way, not to mention um, many of the bad habits that you've developed up until that point um, throughout you know, your, your childhood and growing up and adolescence. And so we're starting with 14 and 15-year-olds, predominantly young people who have just finished eighth grade and are entering high school most likely frustrated with school, not necessarily seeing um, where it's all leading if they don't have role models or, or people surrounding them who have college educations or high wage positions that, because of skills, um, they may not understand the critical nature of education and why it's so important to have. And so we're trying to get kids before they drop out. That's one thing. So that's why we're starting with ninth graders. We're also trying to get young people who um, 
have all the tools necessary, but just maybe disengaged more than anything and may be interested in working with their hands some. Um, but one thing that I want to make clear and, and always stress to our pam parents and families and community members is that we're not dumbing down anything. We're actually ramping it up. And a lot of the work that our young people are doing, both on the vocational side and on the academic side, is so much more rigorous than anything I ever tackled in high school. And I went to a really great middle class high school. And um, even with that, I was bored out of my mind. So I often, uh, well, for the last two years of high school, I left for two and a half hours a day to go work on my 1983 Camaro at our tech school because it was a much more rigorous sure collaborative, engaging education. And, and even though I knew I was going on to a four-year university, um, I didn't necessarily know why, and I didn't know what I was headed for. And I was much more passionate at 17, 18 years old about working on my car. Well, I think that, that that's an experience that's shared by so many folks. I mean, when you talk to people about their high school experiences, how many of them said, oh, you know, I just kind of sat through class so that after school I could go and work on the newspaper, or I really loved, you know, shop class or I really loved, you know, managing the basketball team or doing statistics for the basketball team or something. And you think, wow, man, like those are actually really important skills and good things for kids to know. And we think of them as this kind of secondary piece or, or things that are nice to have and, and, and trying to leverage things that kids are actually passionate about into these things, I think, I think is a wonderful, wonderful place to start. Now, I was, I was perusing your website and correct me if I'm wrong, but ideally, uh, after six years in your program, students will have a high school diploma, an associate's degree, and a house. Are, are, are all three of those things true? They are, but you left out one pretty critical component because um, A, is competency-based. That's not the critical component I'm getting at, but it's competency-based. So on average, it'll take our, our youth six years to get through. Those who are really, really highly motivated could possibly get done in four years. Those who uh, need a little more time or are starting well behind the others, um, which many of our, our youth are going to be starting well behind, even as ninth graders. Um, they may take seven, eight years. Um, but the biggest piece is once they've had both the high school diploma and the associate's degree, they then have to be on a set path towards the middle class. And that can come in, in three different ways. It can come by taking a full-time salaried position with one of our building partners or real estate partners, one of our employers that have agreed to work with our young people, apprentice them, and then offer them positions down the road. So that's one, one option. The second one is to take their associate's degree and go on to a four-year degree. Um, so they'll already have half of their four-year diploma taken care of, and they could then transfer to University of Alabama or Harvard, wherever they want to go. Um, but we know in this country that earning a four-year degree and also having credits towards that as you start makes it much more likely that you'll persist through. And that is a, a great way to, to enter the middle class. And then the third option is to launch their own business. So if they've gone through our entire program and decided that they want to be an electrician, for example, They'll come away with their associate's degree focused on electrical, and they'll be able to sit for their state licensure and be credentialed. And then they can go ahead and launch their own small business. And our our program will actually be housed in a facility that also has a minority business incubator within it as well. And so we'll actually have the supports there to help our young people write a business plan, 
raise some capital and start creating jobs for their community. So not so not only go to work themselves, but to hopefully create those jobs by launching their own small businesses. And so any of those three steps is kind of what we consider to be the the path to the middle class. And and that's the third and most critical step towards that home ownership piece. So once they have the high school diploma, the associate's degree, and that set path into the middle class, then they take over the deeds to the homes that they rebuild. And these are like new duplexes. So they become both homeowner and landlord in one fell swoop. And so now talk to me about the the home building process. So where so the students will be building these homes, will they be working with other people to build these homes? Where are the where are the homes coming from for the for the students to take over the deeds? Yeah, well we're launching in a a small part of Birmingham called Inslee. And I say small part, at one part at one point in our history it was a quite a big part of Birmingham. Um Inslee's actually older than the city of Birmingham. Um but it was at a very early on kind of swallowed up into Birmingham as it blew up. And this was all in the very early 20th century. But Inslee at one point in a 24-hour period produced more steel than any place in the world. It had about 40,000 residents, about half black, half white. They were all working class, but at a time when working class meant middle class, homeowners, things like that, um, because they all had really steady jobs in the steel industry. But as technology kind of passed by and and the world flattened a bit, a lot of those steel jobs were left um, and lost from that community. And Inslee now has about five or 6,000, mostly poor, mostly black residents. Um, Those who couldn't get out were left. And um, as you can imagine, going from 40,000 residents to 5,000, there are an awful lot of blighted, abandoned homes in this community. Now, Birmingham, like many uh, cities, has a mechanism that if houses are abandoned, if somebody's no longer paying taxes on them, um, they have something called the Birmingham Land Bank Authority that can absorb those houses and take it under their control. And then through a quiet title process, they can work with lawyers to clear the title and put it in the names of someone else. And so BuildUp will be taking these homes that are in every way a a negative on public dollars. So the city's having to maintain the yards. The city has to, once they've fallen into complete disrepair, has to raise the home and um, clear the lots. Uh, They have to monitor that and patrol them for squatters, they become drug houses. Um, Also, a lot of these homes in Inslee are catching fire, and that's a huge issue. So these are all negatives and drags on public resources, and we're going to take these homes from the city, work with our youth and industry professionals who are apprenticing our kids through this process, teaching them all aspects of construction, and rebuild these, these homes that have been more or less abandoned uh, for the last at least five years into like new duplexes. So we're going to put them into producing positive revenues for the city and also creating both a home and a, in some senses, a small business through this passive income of, of being a landlord for our youth. So a word you've used a lot is partners. And it seems like that is integral to what you all are trying to do. You have to work with all these partners. Could you maybe talk about how you've created this network of partners, how you've leveraged them, how you've worked with them, how you convinced them to be part of this. I mean, it just, it sounds like such an interesting and innovative way to solve this really unique problem, but one that you can't do on your own. So how did you recruit these partners? Um, How do you work with them? How do you leverage them? One of the first things we realized 
when we kind of discovered what what problem we're actually tackling, which is is poverty and and very closely related urban blight. Um, these problems are so massive and complex that there was no way that any educational institution, any um, group of teachers, any individual sector even could tackle it. And so it had to be through partnership. And that had that partnership even had to be really broad as well to support the young people and the community and our, our families as they do this work. And so Throughout the whole thing, though, what I've realized is that the partnerships have to be mutually beneficial. So we talked a little bit just a moment ago about what we're providing for the city. The city is providing us for some uh, blank canvases of homes, more or less. Hopefully they have strong bones that we can build from. So they're providing us with that. But like I said, we are returning them um, homes that are going to bring dollars into the city rather than continually cost them. Um, for our building partners, a lot of them are struggling to get young talented, driven, motivated individuals into their field. A lot of the baby boomers that are currently run, running construction companies are retiring off. And so they need an influx of talent, but they also need an influx of diverse talent. So we're going to be helping them to get more females into the field and also um, to get more people of color into construction, um, which is really a, a component of construction that's lacking in their human capital. Um, in every case, we want to go to our partners and say, this is what we have to offer you, and this is what we can really use support on. Um, and because we have so many different components, financial literacy, the financing pieces of the housing, we go to financial institutions and, and um, community development funds and things like that. Uh, obviously, there's a, a big need early on for the philanthropic community to help us get this thing off the ground as well. But in each case, we feel like and hope to be providing quite a bit more. Um, we're not just going with our hands out. We're saying, listen, let's collaboratively solve this issue that is a major issue for the city of Birmingham and really for communities all across the country. And the only way to solve this is through collaboration, through partnership. And so we have a place for just about anybody to come and insert themselves and, and help us to accomplish this. Uh, because we've known from the beginning we can't do it alone. So was this a tough sell to the philanthropic community? I mean, it sounds it sounds great, but it's different. And I know that sometimes there is reticence to to support new and different things. so was was that was it difficult? Did folks jump at the opportunity? How did that work? We're still figuring that out, to be honest. Um, it has not been a tough sell, and it every single conversation I've had, literally every single conversation I've had, and I've presented, built up to over 700 people and in and through Birmingham in large groups and in small groups and one-on-one -on -one even, and everybody kind of nods their head saying, yes, it makes sense. Yes, that sounds like it could work. Um, and then they kind of say, well, who else is doing this? And I say, well, we'll be the first. Um, <laughs> and nobody else is doing this obviously each of these components has been done by different people um, the program has been highly influenced by groups like youth build and uncommon construction um, habitat for humanity has been getting low-income folks into homes and home ownership positions for a long time christo ray was an influence in this kind of um, earn and learn component um, but we're doing all of those things together and we're doing them all on steroids and so nobody's ever pulled this off before. 
um, our biggest influence is the Swiss and, and German uh, dual ed system where apprenticeship is such a critical piece of a young person's um, kind of maturation and learning process. As they hit high school, they leave what we think of as compulsory education and 70%, and at least of youth in Switzerland, go into the workforce in apprenticeships. And so um, nobody in this country has ever tackled poverty in, in this way and um, will be the first and only school in the country doing this next year. And yes, there has been a lot of reticence, I think, <laughs> that our funders are they don't want to be the first to dive in and they don't want to be the first to commit a big chunk of change on something that to this point is unproven. Um, all the pieces make sense. It seems to support itself. The homes we're working on are all within um, a short distance of the school. We only take students from within a small distance of the school as well because we're kind of an anti-gentrification program as well. We believe that folks from within the community can solve their own problems if given the right supports. Um, and so that, for example, eliminates the need for transportation, which is a huge cost. Uh, the school I ran in New Orleans had over a $600,000 a year transportation budget, which we would much rather put towards curriculum and, and high quality teaching and academic programming, that sort of thing. So the program seems to make sense. It solves a lot of its own issues, but it's never been done before. And so for me, that means I should tackle it. But for a lot of people, um, never been done before often is taken as, well, it can't be done. Sure. Now, and are you hoping to ramp up? So this fall, how many students are you hoping to serve and sort of at your fully articulated vision of this school, how many students are you hoping to serve? Yeah, so at each individual site, and we're launching just one site to start, um, we take 20 students per year, and that's because of the huge need for housing uh, that and the, well, I should say the huge um, input need that it takes to to turn around these houses. Sure. So over six years, 20 houses is a lot because we're starting with youth who have in some cases never held a hammer before and we're teaching them all aspects of construction plus giving them the high school diploma and the associate's degree. When I say giving them, they're earning it, um, which is typically a six-year process in and of itself. So we, we have limited capacity of only 20 youth per year, but over the six-year program, each site will grow to approximately 120 youth. So that would be a fully built out site. Now, if two miles away, there's another community in need, we hope to launch another site there. So we're always launching within the community and taking young people from that community. We hope to ramp up very quickly though. If we can prove this model in NC, which is one of the most depressed communities and one of um, the most, in many cases, inequitable cities and and one of the uh, most high, highly impoverished states in our country. If we can be successful in Inslee, then we, we know that in places like New Orleans and Atlanta, where property values are, are much different once you get the homes up and going, um, and, and that scenario would make finances a lot easier in some other cities, and we know that we can be successful there as well. I was shocked being in Boston and speaking with some folks from Youth Build and finding out that the city of Boston even has 12,000 um, abandoned properties. You know, some are just lots, but some are, are blighted homes under their control. And Youth Build is one of their best partners and the most ideal type partner because they're lifting up youth and getting the homes back into the hands of people in need. Um, but Youth Build is really only knocking out two or three homes a year. And the city of Boston has 12,000. So wow. even in cities with home values as 
kind of out of control as Boston, um, there's still a big need for a program like this. Well, so could you talk for a, a, a brief bit about the earn and learn model? So maybe some folks are familiar with Christo Ray, who students you know, attend classes, I think in most of them at four days a week and for a fifth day of the week that they work, and that helps defray the, the cost of their education. Will the work that students do be able to completely defray the cost of their education? Are they going to have to pay tuition? Do you rely a lot on fundraising to meet that gap? How, how will earn and learn work in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one, I think we, it has to be noted that apprenticeships, internships, um, these kind of introductions to the world of work, the way that they're set up in our country, are critical for young people to make that leap. And too often, young people go straight from high school, and it's often children coming from places of privilege, but will go from high school to a four-year university. And then at the age of 22 or 23, they're getting their first taste of work and it's a full-time position and they're completely overwhelmed because they've never had, they've never dabbled in work before. They've never learned the hard way what happens when you don't show up for work on time or, or you don't plan adequately or you don't respond to a superior in the correct way. So work is critical um, and, and getting an introduction to it before the stakes are so high, before you have kids and a mortgage and all these responsibilities that are dependent on the work, I think is also a very important factor. That said, um, too often internships and the way that um, companies in this country at least introduce young people to the world of work is through unpaid options. And that's a privilege that too many folks cannot afford um, to do, especially when you have to get to and from that place of employment or a place of internship. Um, so transportation is an issue. There are all kinds of reasons that um, many folks in our country just cannot afford unpaid work. But um, especially when we're talking about African-Americans, I think the days of any kind of unpaid employment need to be long gone. And so for us, it's not just defraying the cost of tuition, but our young young people in our program are actually going to earn take-home pay as well. And so uh, I'll break down some of the numbers for you. Our tuition is more or less, uh, and this is the cost per student um, and expenses, is more or less $25,000 per pupil, which is really, really high for um, any person coming out of poverty, especially, but um, but every aspect of our program allows for any child, regardless of socioeconomic status, to afford it. So, number one, and this is a, a huge advantage of being in Alabama, there's a $10,000 tax credit scholarship. So, if you're a low-income uh, young person zoned for what the state of Alabama deems to be a failing school, which will be the case in our situation, and and I think 90% of the high schools in Birmingham are on this failed schools list, um, which is the bottom 6% of schools in the state, then you can leave the traditional public system and take a tax credit scholarship um, and and take that money and, and put it towards private school tuition. And so we'll be launching as a private school. Down the road, we may end up being a charter or a traditional public school, a school within a school. Um, I'm pretty agnostic about that, but in Alabama for now, for us to get launched as quickly as possible, we're going this route. And so $10,000 of that 25 can be covered by public funds, which individuals or companies contribute um, via tax credit scholarship. Uh, additionally, our young people will earn on average somewhere around $20,000 a year in in wages. Uh, I say wages, it's it's all part of a 
stipend-based program. They get paid for being in this program, half of which comes back to the school, though, to pay a portion of the tuition. The other half goes to their pocket. So if we were to break it down in an hourly wage, it would be somewhere around $15 an hour, half of which comes back to the school, and then $750, still above minimum wage, goes back to our young people. So they can really start to see the fruit of their labor. Um, you know, I think the Christo Ray model is brilliant and, and has figured out a lot of ways to open the door, not only to getting exposure to the world of work, but also to help low-income youth afford a, a quality private school education. But at the same time, I think it's even more critical that youth begin to see the fruits of their labor. And when you put in a hard day's work, you get something to show for it in your pocket. And so the other piece to that is that's going to be our motivator more than anything else. If you enter our program at 14 or 15, um, you're not thinking about home ownership. Now, we'll, we'll start young people down that path, but a six-year program is a really big commitment for anyone, um, and especially a 14, 15-year-old who doesn't know who they want to be or what they want to be when they grow up. But for us, being able to have that little lever at the end of each month, a stipend check that's coming to them so that they can learn to save, learn to set up investments, and go buy whatever shoes they want or take their girlfriend out on a date, that's really valuable. And that's the lever that we really will twerk on um, in the short term and in the near term to keep young people engaged, get them to work even harder in the classroom so that they can spend more time out in their apprenticeships. Um, earning wages and rebuilding their community. And so now the, the, the learning, the, the high school diploma side, the associate's degree side, the actual classroom, is that going to be a kind of traditional classroom instruction? Is that some mix of online or blended learning? And for the associate's degree, are you going to be accredited by the state to give associate's degrees? Do you have to do that in partnership? I'm just kind of wondering the intersection with these existing systems that we have. Yes, I think it'll look different in different sites. And as we um, begin to expand rapidly, we'll have to change this up some so that we're not having to um, recreate the wheel in, in every single community. For the associate's degree part, I'll start with that um, because it's the easiest. We are partnering with a local community college. So in our case, it's uh, Lawson State Community College. It's part of the Alabama Community College system. And they have a construction uh, program already. They have um, a lot of options that align well with what we want our youth learning. They have great dual enrollment options. And so the majority of the um, classes that our youth will be taking will be counting as double because we do have to be more efficient in how our youth are learning and earning credits. So um, through the dual enrollment um, programs, they'll not only be earning the high school uh, credits and we will be an accredited high school. So the high school diploma will be accredited, but they'll also be earning credits to put towards their associate's degree. Um, on the academic component side that we'll be doing in-house, um, it's going to be a combination of things and it won't look or feel or, or, or um, operate like any high school you've probably ever been in. Um, it's going to be our academic space on the ground floor, for instance, we'll have a 4,000 square foot workshop. So our young people are learning geometry with two by fours framing out a wall. And then that afternoon, they'll go and, and put that learning directly into application, uh, rebuilding a wall in one of these blighted abandoned homes in the community. So it's, it's creating this relevance that too often is lacking, especially in high school curricula. Um, the, the delivery model we say will be from 
teachers, tutors, peers, and computers. And so that's learning from everything and everyone, both industry experts and also, um, you know, academic advisors, teachers, tutors, um, college students, you name it. We're going to have a, a lot of different components. Um, each individual student will have a personalized learning plan. And so wherever they come to us as a starting point, and we know that the high school that will be um, essentially drawing from, uh, on average, their ninth graders start on a fourth or fifth grade reading level and even lower in math. But again, that's an average. And over the 20 students, each and every one of them is going to be at a different place. So we're not going to have any teacher stand to deliver a ninth grade ELA lesson. A, it'd be too hard to access for students that are on a fourth, fifth grade average, but B, it's never going to be a just right fit. And all the differentiation in the world is not going to make for an excellent lesson. Um, but by personalizing it and creating kind of on on level instruction for each student, it will, if you're familiar with RTI, response to intervention, sure. RTI tier two and tier three is what our entire academic program is going to resemble. Um, so data driven, lots of small group instruction of, of coupling kids that are on the same levels to to really hit their needs exactly where they are and and move them forward from there. Also creating lots of different um, methods and and different lesson options. So they may have two or three different um online components that could teach them three digit multiplication if that's what we're working on or whatever the case may be um, and then they'll also have a teacher that can help them get over the hump if they're getting stuck um, and then i think that the peer learning component is going to be big as well both on the vocational side and on the academic side um, as young people begin to help one another it, it really builds a sense of community and that's one of the things we're doing as well is um, you know, when this program, when, when our first group of 20 youth are, are released on the world, A, they're going to have a lot of experience under their belt, um, both on the career side, but also in in just being next to one another and sweating together and, and rebuilding their community together. And that's the, the big change agent here is that um, these 20 youth are going to end up taking over 40 units within a four or five block area of Inslee. And they are going to then collaboratively over time bring stability, um, security to that community and, and launch small businesses and create jobs and, and, and help them invite other outside investment. We just, um, the biggest piece to this is that we have to get folks from within the community into ownership positions first before the outside investment comes, because that's um, what we've seen in too many communities is outside investors come in and say we're going to solve your problems which i think is a, a bit of a slap in the face and an undignified way to to lead community revitalization and it often drives out the people who have been the heart and soul of that community for years and years for sure well i tell you we could keep talking about this all day but i love ending on your really wonderful vision for the future of ensley and for your school we're going to have to have you back on here in a year or two and see how everything is going but mark barton of build up thank you so much for taking the time to chat today Thanks so much for your time. Please check us out at uh, www. I don't think you even have to say that www. <laughs> <laughs> Buildup.work. Buildup.work. Please check us out. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We had a lot of ground to cover because I told Mark, I mean, this could be 
234 podcast. We hope to have him back in the future. Wish him all of the success. I really do think that if he is able to create this model and it works the way that he hopes that it does, it really has the, the possibility of being a seismic shift in thinking about workforce development, thinking about career and technical education, and honestly to think about kind of urban revitalization. Um, it's a really fascinating model, lots to chew on there. Um, as always, this is the part of the podcast in where I ask you to subscribe. Please subscribe to our podcast. It's also nice uh, to leave some reviews. I think that makes it easier for people to find our, our podcast. I would prefer if they were positive reviews, but I have thick skin. I can deal with it. Um, also, please sign up for our email list. You can head to our website, edchoice.org. You can create a little profile for yourself and get all of the content directly the the way that you want it. If you like the interesting research that we're doing or you want to keep up with political developments, any uh, any and all things related to school choice you can get from our website. One final uh, request, as always, I'm on the lookout for cool schools. Thank you so much to listeners of the podcast or folks who read the transcript on the blog and have sent me ideas for schools or some of the people that we will be talking to. So if you have idea ideas for cool schools, tweet them at me at MQ underscore McShane, email them to me, send it by carrier pigeon, any way that you want to get it to me. So thanks again and talk to you next time.